Hi, I'm Lauren, and welcome to this very special series, Hopecast Extra Time. Extra Time is an exclusive series focusing on the issues that connect sports with suicide. This is the first episode in the series focusing on gambling. The UK has the largest online gambling industry in the world, and football is one of the most popular sports that people gamble on. Gambling is everywhere in football, with TV promotions to shared sponsorships. In fact, seven clubs out of the 20 Premier League teams are sponsored by gambling companies. Even former legendary players are endorsing gambling apps. It motivates fans to get involved. And with the exposure to gambling on social media, it's more accessible and in our faces than ever before. But gambling has a very dark side to it. There is a serious link between gambling and suicide. YGAM is an organisation we proudly worked closely with on this episode. Their social purpose is to inform, educate, safeguard young people about gambling and gaming related harms. Anne Evans founded YGAM after her son, Alan, tragically took his own life after battling with a gambling addiction. For this episode, I was joined by YGAM's Director of Programme Engagement, Kevin Clelland, Sam Starsmore, YGAM's Head of Delivery, and who's also a recovering gambling addict himself, and Marvin Sordell, who is a former professional footballer who retired from the game for mental health reasons and has his own personal experiences of suicide. So the UK has the longest running history of gambling. What makes it so attractive people to place a bet, especially when it comes to football? Um, I think within our society it goes hand in hand with the sport. Um, it's with a certain age group, a certain demographic, a certain environment. Um, football and gambling are quite stringently linked. Um, it's something that many people in the country enjoy. It's got a lot of fun factor around it. Um, but there is also the devastation, the, the impacts of the devastation side of it as well. So, um, yeah, he's trying to balance the fun between that those potential adverse impacts that gambling does bring. Um, but again, it's something that's so closely linked to the game, whether it comes in the form of advertisement um, or anything of that nature. And it's almost embedded in football culture, isn't it? Like Sam was saying that it's like it's natural when you watch football. You see these advertisements, you see these links to gambling, and I'm going to put a bet on it. It's, it's like it's part of football culture. Yeah, it's, it's almost become sort of synonymous with part of following your team, isn't it? And supporting your team to place place a bet and be part of it. I think um, there is, like you sort of mentioned, there's that history of gambling's involvement with football. We used to have things like spot the ball and, and the football pools that people did, but now you've got loads of teams, you've got nine teams in the 2021-22 season in the Premier League they've got that main gambling shirt sponsor um, you've also got 19 of the 20 teams that have a, a, a official gambling partner as well, at least one official gambling partner and then on top of that we've got adverts there's a number of adverts out there um, there are 
certain restrictions have been things that have been put in place by by the industry and by the regulators to try and, and combat that. So, for example, in the um, last Men's World Cup in 2018, there were over 160 adverts devoted to gambling. Wow. And when you put that on a, when you look at it in terms of timing, it equates to just over, just under 90 minutes. So it's almost the equivalent of a whole match. More than any other genre, any other yeah. type of advert. And also, you know, a thing we talk about in our training is it's those other things that appeal to to young males particularly, you know, more than adverts for fast cars, for beer commercials, for fast food commercials. Um, and there has been measures put in place. So this is the whistle-to-whistle ban that was put in place, which... Um, prohibited adverts from five minutes before the game started until five minutes after it finished for those games shown before the watershed. And in the Euro 2020 um, finals at the same stage, the three of the group stages, there was just slightly over just half of the adverts shown. So it was 85 adverts shown at that stage. So it was having an impact. Um, but I think, again, something we we talk about is the fact that the Advertising Standards Agency acknowledged that in a recent report but they talked about those shifting media consumption habits that young people have. So young people aren't necessarily watching the game live in the living room with the parents on ITV or on Sky Sports or on BT Sport. They're accessing football, they're accessing sport, they're accessing all different kinds of entertainment via mobile devices, you know, in the privacy of their own room as well, and particularly where some of those regulations aren't in place. I mean, that's the dangerous thing, would you not agree, Marvin, where it's like, it's on your phone now, It's you can't escape it when you see it, you've got apps now, social media, football isn't just on the telly anymore, it's everywhere, and that makes it more dangerous. Yeah, and you're just consistently getting notifications, and you know, ads, as well as on TV, you get ads on social media, you know, people are going on to a platform, and they're, you know, they're being told, have this, you can have this free, free bit, and you can enter this space where you know you might things can get out of control obviously quite quite easily but as I said it's just it's part of like the culture of being a fan being a football fan in this country is that you know on a Saturday you wake up you get ready you you go down you go to the pub you put a bet on on your team and then you go watch a match and it's just like part of the the ritual almost that's been passed down really from generation to generation where maybe in, in previous generations it wasn't as harmful because you put on one bet at the betting shop and you see a bet on paper and you, you you win or you lose, you watch it and then, you know, you go off, get your winnings or carry on, you know, winnings, go down down, down to the pub and treat everyone or you don't and you carry on home. Whereas that, I guess what's kind of developed and evolved from that is a lot more money in advertising, but also technology. And as you said, like having that access to it just constantly. So it's not like, right, I'm going to wake up and, go through that process of going to the match day experiences. Yeah. I wake up, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I'm gonna put accumulator on for these games that have been played in China in half an hour's time. And yeah, then they're match- still different yeah. matches now. It's not just UK yeah. games or England games or Premier League games. It's it's you know international games you've got access to now. So it's almost if you've got that problem where it's like, oh any match, you've got access to it. And uh, and I think on top of that as well, you know, like Marvin mentioned, you've got that accessibility, but also like you said there's more games on TV, there's more um, exposure for those different games. So with that, that brings for young people, older people, that knowledge as well, potentially about the game. So they potentially think that they're more knowledgeable about what's going to happen in the game between um, 
Real Madrid and AC Milan than ever before because previously you would only get to see the highlights of that game if you were lucky. Whereas now everybody sees, you know, every Barcelona game every week. You see, and you can watch. You can watch any game. You know, you can see an Italian Serie B game quite easily weekly. So people then believe that they're coming from a, a stronger sort of base in terms of the knowledge. Well, believe it's not gambling. Yes. Yeah. Massive, yeah. a massive issue, yeah. If we think about that accessibility and bring it back to the individual, um, someone who's going to put a bet on down at the local bookmakers, they're going to be interacting with human beings across the counter, human beings in the store. If they're sat at home on this device, yeah. it's, it's a virtual mm-hmm. money, it's not real-life cash they're handing over to place the bet. And it's something, you know, they've got a casino in the pocket 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So in terms of the isolation, the, the um, self, you know, the exclusion from society and interacting in that fun social way that gambling can be, um, from a mental health perspective, that is quite detrimental as well when you look at the accessibility and that individual, what they could potentially go through. Well, you think it's an all-time high, isn't it? You know, when you win and you think, oh, this is brilliant, I'm going to put another bet on, I'm going to keep doing it. And before you know it, it's like the next day you look at your phone like, oh, my God, what, what have I done? You know, that's my salary gone, that's my wages. And it's it's so easily done. And like I say, nobody's there to stop you. And that's the most dangerous thing about it all. There's the four stages from the Illinois Institute of Addiction. Um, so these four stages essentially outline what, someone suffering from an addiction would go through and it starts off with that winning stage where it's generally quite a big win it's something they'll be able to they think they can replicate they'll be really happy enthusiastic but inevitably that will fall into a losing stage so this is where they'll start gambling alone skipping work school college taking out payday loans bank loans fund it essentially trying to get back into that winning stage and that then moves into um, a desperation stage so that's where they feel really guilty, but they can't quit, they can't stop, the addiction really has hold of them. And within that desperation stage, you'd see them gambling alone, um, not doing it in a social manner or anything. And then some people do unfortunately fall into that hopeless stage. Um, and that's where they believe that nobody nobody cares, nobody can help them. Um, and worst case scenario, they could attempt um, or contemplate to take their own life. And that's, that's why we're all here today, because tragically, that's the massive link between gambling and suicide, is that desperation, be like, I can't get out of this space anymore, I don't I don't want to be here anymore, look what I've done, I'm, I'm ashamed, I'm scared to admit to people, I've, I've put myself in this situation, you know, it's took over me. Yeah. And then a big thing as well is that the National Gambling Treatment Service um, conducted some research recently, and they found that people who it was over two-thirds of people who had accessed their service had also gone through that early big win as well, so they'd experienced that big win, so it then almost pulled them in. And then if we, we think on top of that, you know, the different the different mechanisms that are used to pull people back in, so those push notifications, the advertising, the influence of, of peers as well, you know, the peer pressure potentially around there as well. It's, it's a vicious circle that they could end up in and it's not only just fans is it you know Marvin yourself being a professional footballer it's linked with players as well players coming out with addiction to gambling and that that significant links there as well yeah but it goes back to that first point that you said about chasing that high and you know something that we all have endorphins we all mm-hmm. we all want to to feel whatever that high is you know we're always in search of it regardless of where that may come from that's just natural to us yeah. we're always trying to feel good and how we feel that 
can be very different. It could be something that's very positive or something that's very negative. And people who want to check, who want really big highs, don't know how to get them. It's the easiest way to try and get a big high because it's right there. It's accessible. Yeah. You can go. You know, for me personally, like helping people is a, is a something that gives me a big high or like, you know, um, a new project or something. That that takes time. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes time, it takes resources, it takes a lot of energy. If I wanted a quick, easy high, I could try to go right. I'm gonna spend money and and try to win money back because that could happen like that. Yeah, it can happen in two minutes. I don't have to go anywhere. It's right here. I can do that. And that's the problem that we have is that you know people. That's why addiction is 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 can be very confusing to a lot of people who don't necessarily understand it because it is just people just wanting that feeling as opposed to anything else being the problem like the gambling isn't necessarily the problem the problem is they're trying to chase that feeling that that they're not getting wherever it may be and it's a form of self-harm in a way you know if we have yeah. a rubbish day and you think oh, i'm not gonna eat something healthy i'm not gonna have a nice drink mm-hmm. i'm gonna have alcohol i'm gonna have something rubbish i'm gonna you know start going gambling because it's it makes you that instant gratification isn't it? you feel good yeah. if you win no one likes to lose but it's that vicious cycle where you lose there's a chance you can win it back and it's it's yeah. that constant chasing just bringing that to life as well um i've been in recovery from a gambling addiction for over five years now and over the last year i've got married i've run my first marathon and there's no high that reaches the highs i, I I experienced during my gambling, which is quite sad, but it's it's the it's the reality, and I need to understand that in order for me to enjoy those other experiences. So it's not necessarily trying to replace one thing with another; it's coming to that inner comfort. And I think when someone can come to that inner comfort, that you're not going to reach those highs. That's where the mental um, the mental well being does take a hit. Um, because on the inside you're feeling really, really downbeat and you can't get that high. Um, so yeah, that's essentially from a from an experience perspective that he's not necessarily looking for the high, although you want to. But it's, it's like, you know, the people in the media, so X-Play, so Paul Mason, yeah. John Hartson, and they've all come forward and they've had serious issues of gambling because they're chasing that high constantly. You know, the career, whether the career's coming to an end or they've got that gap in between that they've just won a game, they're just like, I need to fill that void up constantly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like you say, it's recognising that and it's not replacing that, but it's putting those boundaries in place and recognising I'm, I'm getting a problem here. Yeah. It's getting out of control now. That was a fantastic documentary that Paul yeah. Wilson did on BBC and there was just one part that stuck out to me where they showed him pictures of different things. Yes. Pictures of nice food and family. And CT scan, it shows what his brain's doing. And then of the, of the, the slot machines and there were the things where his brain were going... Ten to a dozen with, um, and again, that's how an how an addict's mind will work, and um, where they see things differently to other people, um, and I guess one of the things we love to do at our charity Wagam is look at that preventative work. You know, how can we nip it in the bud earlier than when it gets to the um, the destructive phase, and um, we do that through education, etc. So I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that, more about that later. And it's, for you being an ex-gambler, was that through betting that got you in that stage? Was it, was it that accessibility through technology that got you in that loophole? There, there's a, there's a, a, a whole host of reasons and I've done a lot of digging over the last five years and I think I've come to the conclusion that it wasn't um, my gambling that caused my mental health issues. 
it was my mental health issues that caused my gambling. I utilised gambling at the age of 16 as an escape mechanism from what I was going through emotionally. Um, my mum and dad split up, rock solid family for 16 years, and they didn't know how to process it. I was just being introduced to poker and to football accumulators. So under the age, under the legal age, I'd walk into a bookies with my dad's tie on um, and I'd gamble. And that was a safe place for me. That's where I didn't have to speak to anyone, um, any any kind of friends or mum or dad, how are you doing? And it, it catapulted from there, whereby they, I then found online gambling. So I didn't even have to leave my living room. Um, so yeah, it was a spiral, but it was more so of what was going on within my life and my environment. And gambling was something I utilised as an escape. So there, there are many reasons out there that drew me back in, whether it be advertising, the, the accessibility we've discussed. Um, but the main reason, I believe, as to why that journey started was due to um, some mental health issues at the time and not processing some life events. I suppose let's go back to what you were just saying then, Morgan, about finding replace it. So that high, it's replacing that with something, and you know, how can I get that instant gratification? And that's unfortunately what not only yourself, but so many addicts unfortunately have that that pattern with it's it's or not recognising a mental health struggle or how I'm feeling and think, how can I get that? How can I get that buzz back straight away? And it's just difficult for people to understand or process what that experience is because yeah. it's a new one and Again, it's something we, we really try to do on is for to break down the stigma, whether it's mental health in general or whether it's gambling or gamer-related stigma, um, because there is stigma there and people, especially of a, a certain demographic, a certain generation, a soccer Saturday generation, yeah. they're going to feel comfortable, they're going to feel safe calling out and coming out and saying that I've got this issue, I've got this problem. In a, in a masculine environment, potentially not. And I think Marvin might say the same within the professional game as well, that there may be that stigma there um, because it is so in our face and it's everywhere we look. Would you agree? Would you say that with the professional world? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is that what I, from what I've seen, because I've, I've seen addiction, I've, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen it in gambling like a lot. Everyone says the same thing. I'm, I haven't got a problem, I'm fine. But it's it's only fine because of your circumstances currently. Yeah. At some point, it won't be fine yeah. because if you don't, if you don't deal with addiction, it doesn't go anywhere. It just, it just worse, stays there. Yeah. It gets worse. And so you may think, right, I've got it under control now, but you know, you if you if you don't understand what what's going on and you don't understand that where you are, then it's just going to spiral. At some point, it's going to catch up with you, and at some point, you're going to go through those other other three stages. Like you said, you know, they're in that stage of winning you can be there for a long time and then all of a sudden it just goes bang 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 yeah. and all of a sudden you're at this point of hopelessness like very quickly and you have no idea how you got there but that's that's, that's the reality of it you know some people haven't got you know I'm, I guess we're not saying that gambling is like the absolute be like the worst thing in the world but to have a healthy relationship with with that is is important and if you don't understand your relationship with that then that's where, where help has to come. And that's where the education comes in, doesn't it, Kev? You know, what you do at YGAM is prevention, it's educating even young, like, you know, teenagers, because we know technology-wise with gaming and accessibility, how, you know, even younger now, kids are getting involved with this, and it's, 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 it's educating from a really young age the dangers of gambling and gaming. Absolutely. I think education has a, 
a crucial role to play. That's the real sort of mantra that we have as a charity is that um, education plays a key role in harm prevention in all forms of harm prevention, uh, just as we find that it's important to, to provide early interventions around drugs and alcohol. We believe exactly the same around gambling. It's the earliest point that you can have those conversations, you can make people aware of the risks, then the better it can be. And it's about ensuring that that, that education is, is evidence-led as well, so it's relying on the evidence that's out there, that it does have that understanding from lived experience, which we do at YGAM. I mean, we're a charity that was founded on lived experience of our founder patron who's... Um, son served Anza, former primary teacher herself, but her son Alan died through suicide at the age of 40 after a long battle with gambling, which went back to his teenage years, which obviously was the, the key sort of influencer over the formation of our charity. But we believe as well that that education shouldn't just be targeted at the individual, at the young person. It needs to, we need to educate everybody. We need to educate teachers, we need to educate youth workers, people in HE and FE, parents. Um, health professionals as well, anybody who who can have that sort of positive influence over the health and well-being of young people because it's, it's vitally important. And also it's about using the correct, the, the sort of appropriate language as well because we've, we've heard about stigma and shame and, and trying to move away. We as a charity tend to not use the sort of terms of addiction and um, problem gamblers sort of because it's understanding that it's the gambling harm and it's the harm that the individual's experiencing, but then also the knock-on effects that can potentially have on those significant others around them as well. And it's that stigma, it's, you know, gambling and suicide not only goes hand-in-hand, hand, but it carries the exact same stigma. As soon as you hear gambling addiction or suicide, you shut off completely. You just think, I'm not discussing that, that's that's taboo. I'm not, no, you hear soon hear that, I'm not discussing that. And it's, it's about breaking that and those early steps saying, I think I'm getting a problem here. I can't stop. It's it's playing on my mind all the time. Before you bottle it up and it gets worse and worse and worse and until tragically something serious happens where you think, actually, I'm thinking about suicide, I'm going to take my own life. And, it, and it's that bit of peop- the, the significant people around them as well, being able to spot those signs. I think that's a crucial part of all of our education is that it's it's that sort of collective responsibility of everybody. You know, I think we're in... A far better place with sort of mental health awareness, um, definitely compared to when I was growing up. But um, and it needs to be the same with with gambling. You know that we're not saying that our education program is going to make fourteen-year-old um, Sam sit in his classroom and say, "Oh, I'm having issues with my gambling. You know, I need to do something about this. I need to go and access support." What we want to do is ensure that Sam's teacher we'll maybe spot some of those signs, we'll maybe see that is the definitions are out there that it's, you know, disrupting or damaging the personal recreational pursuit. So it's actually leading to him his performance is, is dipped in class suddenly or, you know, he's he's stopped turning up at football training or it might be, you know, somebody's daughter who's um stopped phoning home when they're at university. It's really understanding that that side and and those people being able to know where to get support as well, and, and also like, the peers as well. Yeah, and it's, it's understanding those signs, isn't it? So externally, you know, it might be a parent, teacher, colleague. How do you spot those signs? What are the key signs? I think, oh, they're spending a lot of time on the phone, or they're, they're, they're putting a lot on, on something, they're, they're focusing a lot on gambling. What can be some of the signs collectively, you think? 
the, the first thing is is the those who are responsible for safeguarding young people they have to have the understanding and the knowledge of those signs um, just changes in behaviour as simple as that and we always say it might be nothing but there's nothing you know nothing stopping you dig, digging a little bit further um, from a gaming perspective you know there are some quite obvious signs with general fatigue um, with things such as you know sleeping in until 8 o'clock and um, not getting up for school falling asleep at school um, but from a gambling perspective it is becoming quite secretive out of character again um, from a financial perspective gambling until you've got nothing left or taking out those payday loans if you've seen some more letters coming through the door um, again that, that's a key sign um, and again just a general dip in depression anxiety wider mental health um, it's just trying to ha- it's being able to have a conversation with that individual using open-ended questions not making them feel as though they're under um, some kind of intervention it's, it's trying to get them to open up at their pace and letting them know that it's okay it's the behaviour that's the issue mm. it's not them as an individual um, and that, that's the stigma isn't it that I, I'm, I'm, the wrong, I'm in the wrong here it's me as a person when if we take a step back you know there's a lot of wider issues when we look at it and even like in the professional world of football it's your teammates as well and it's when you're surrounded by it constantly it must be how you spot the signs with that as well yeah definitely I mean as I said I've, I've been able to, to spot things and I don't necessarily know how because I've, I've not been through addiction myself mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know but I've, I've been I'm conscious enough to see when someone's doing something and it's they're doing it to an excess and it seems like you know they're not particularly enjoying it that's probably one of the things is that you see someone if they're doing something a lot and you're like you're doing this a lot but you're, you don't actually seem to be enjoying it what, what's going on and as I kind of have understood more about mental health and, and well-being and stuff like that I then begin to spot signs of, of those kind of things and, and that feeds heavily into addiction and to people who are really in it but they don't necessarily have the clarity of vision to know that that's where they are and that's like you said that's, that's so important you know within any environment obviously people you're spending time with on a regular basis you get to see what their habits are you get to see what their character is and as soon as things start to change and go that way you start to think well what's going on because this isn't you because I, I know you because we've spent all this time together so it's so important that we not only are we conscious enough to, to, to see these physical changes in people but also I guess brave enough and bold enough to go you know I don't think there's I, or I think there's something wrong or I think there's something going on or I think this is an issue or that is an issue you know it, it, it's really important that that step happens because without that step sometimes people like you can't see it within yourself a lot of the times no. so then where do you go if you haven't got people around you that are going you know come on I can I can do this for you I can maybe just have a you know five minute have a conversation with this person just just you know just like that just have a conversation and that's where the link is with football you know 90 minutes we'll get together with our mates we'll watch the football we'll talk about players talk about tactics we'll talk about post-match we'll never discuss actually how we're feeling what's going on mm-hmm. and it's only when take problems like this develop and you feel like oh, I can't mention this we're having a good time we're watching the football I don't want to bring the mood down if you will yeah, yeah you don't yeah. And I think I think a key message as well, isn't it, is you don't you don't have to be an expert 
have that conversation. That's yeah. a really key message. You know, you don't think we're probably all sort of guilty of wanting to be fixers. We want to, I think, particularly pulling males more than females, don't we? Don't want to stereotype too much, but we we think that if we can't fix it, we'll just ignore it. We'll just we'll just move on. So a crucial piece of of work is to to raise that awareness of make it clear what gambling is. You know, there's research out there as well. Um, recent research of adult populations where 2,000 adults were surveyed and only 10% of them viewed themselves as gamblers. But then in the same survey, they found that one in two had bought lottery tickets, one in three had also bought scratch cards. I think it was one in seven as well had, had bet on the sport. So if, if there's that sort of misconception of, of what gambling is, then how do we even have that conversation of, you know, if somebody's experiencing harm and then it's making sure, like Sam said, that you don't judge the individual. So you're focusing on, on the issue rather than the individual as well. And then that you have that understanding of if that person is experiencing harm. So if they do trust you and they do open up, you know where to hopefully get yeah. the signpost for that help and support, which again is a crucial Aspects. And that's what YGAM is all about. It, it's recognising that you are the people to go to if you've, if you've got concern about someone or you recognise that yourself, like I'm developing a problem here, that's where you can access YGAM support. So as, as, a, <coughs> as a charity, we, we do focus on the preventative side of things. We, we, we're in partnership with an organisation called GAMCare. Um, we work with GAMCare on a national education programme. Um, but GAMCare also offer treatment as well. So they have a dedicated young people service, um, which opened up in September 2020. And they have adult services as well. And it's obviously the great work that Papyrus do, the Shout, there's Childline. So from a young people's perspective, we can signpost appropriately um, if anyone does come forward to us with any concerns or any, any, any harm risks. Um, but we hope that education piece will mitigate that person having to come forward for the signpost in, in years to come. Um, so that's why we think our work is so valuable in the area that I mean, treatment providers will always be there, but it's trying to minimise the amount of people who do go through treatment through the preventative work that we do. And it's just really, it's vitally important, isn't it, that early intervention to get in there before that person experiences harm, potentially, because... The sort of facts and figures that are out there again sort of shows that just over 1 in 10 to 11% of 11, 16-year-olds have gambled in the past seven days. And if you put that on a national scale, it comes in at 350,000. But then also, yeah, the figures of of those who who were already experiencing harm, um, again, is 1.7% from the same report from the Gambling Commission, industry regulator and they also so that again equates to 55,000 young people but then if we look at those who are at risk of experiencing harm either in the near future or in the long-term future that goes up it's in a further 88,000 when we put it on a national scale again and um, it's a it is a harmful activity it is potentially harmful activity for young people it's something that you know 11 16 year olds I'm a parent myself I would would like to think that my children are not participating in, in that activity. I think the scary thing is, like say Marvin, when it comes to football, it's it's everywhere. Advertising is on the football kit, it's on the stands. Adverts, even you watch them tell you at home, 
gambling is everywhere that's that's the frightening thing it's that it's it's in your face more than ever before and do, do you think football clubs should take more responsibility when it comes to fans and because you have we've talked about camp about fan loyalty if you see your club's got a sponsor in betfred you think oh i'm gonna, I'm gonna go to betfred and put some if, if they're supporting that i'm gonna i'm gonna get, get involved yeah i mean i think football clubs need to take responsibility for a lot more things to be honest i think football as an industry sees itself as a sport Football isn't just a sport. Football is a, a staple in this country. Football is the pillar of every single community across the country. Every club, every community in this country has their local club. And that local club is the heart of every single community. And so if you if this is a place you go to for inspiration, for passion, for joy, for love, sometimes sadness, for an escape, then this is the place that looks after you. This is the place that you hold all of your emotions. And if this is what you're looking at as like the example, why is it not then reciprocating that? Why is it not taking care of all of those emotions that it has within its walls? You know, that's that's the battle that I think, well, me personally, that I'm, I'm trying to have within this industry, that this industry is so much more powerful than it may, may realize. You know, the impact that it can have on society is huge. It is the thing that can shift society on a bigger scale, faster than anything else, more so than government. And yet we're we're in a place where it's like football is like well, you know, we're a sport, we're you know, we're a business and, yeah. and stuff like that. But no, so much more than that. And it is because, like I said, you're not going to listen to someone in Parliament, but you're going to listen to your favorite footballer yeah. when they're saying something. You're gonna you're gonna listen, and you made that really big step by saying I left football to, to protect my mental health and that's it's massive because so many people will shy away from that but actually say this isn't good for me that's why I took that step back yeah and you know it's it was tough like yeah. uh, in many aspects it was very easy because I, I value my well-being my mental health more than anything I value my happiness more than anything but in other aspects it was hard because I've always wanted to be a football player since I was five years old and so I'm walking away from something that it's not like I couldn't carry on playing. I, I mean, I still had a I still had a contract. I still had time on my contract, and I still probably could have had another contract. So it's not like I was like you know I'm I'm having to make a decision. Probably I need, I'm not going to carry on playing anyway, so walk away. So no, but genuinely, I I everything was there. I said actually I don't want that anymore. So that is very difficult to just go all of this is on the table, but actually. As, as amazing as it looks, I, I don't want it and I don't like it. It's not making me happy. So the decision I made was very much right and very much, you know, in, in, when you weigh up the pros and cons, there was so much more, so many more pro, pros, sorry, to retiring and, and walking away from that, from that aspect of, of football anyway. And, you know, coming out of it, I, I know for sure that I made the right decision because I'm much happier. Yeah, it's it's they say it's, it's that's where social media comes to play. It's that fickle side of it. You you see the highs and it's almost like when it comes to somebody taking like gambling, they see oh, God, I want to be like Marvin Sordell. I want to have this this amazing life in gambling. It, it gives you that financial thing, doesn't it? Where it's like oh maybe I can just have a glimmer of what that if I win if I get that and that's where fans come into play with that. The people think that with gambling as well, you know, the, when you talk about shame, like the first thing that people think of is like, how much. You know, you'd probably talk about, you know, I don't know, every every 
it's a it's a question I hear asked a lot when people get interviewed about their addiction. Mm-hmm. It's like, what should what was your biggest bet? And it's always like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. Of, How on earth could you do that? It's like it's no different. Hundred thousand or hundred pound in that in in that scenario, it's not any different because it's just where you're at. Yeah. And so, you know, people. I think that that is such a big element to say we talk about education. That's such a big element is that it isn't thinking about the amount, what it is, you know, let's really get context as to what's going on as opposed to just going, right, that's, that's a figure, you know? That's, that's money that, it's money, it's, it's a headline. <coughs> you can lose family, you can lose yeah. wives, husbands, kids, you can lose cars, you can lose houses, you can lose self-worth. Yeah. And you don't see them as a headline. You see the, the big money which... We need to we need to move away from that conversation. Yes, the financials are important, but it's the impact that it has not only the individual, but those affected by the individuals gambling, those affected others. You know, someone who's suffering from gambling harm, there's research that suggests that it can affect up to six to ten other people, whether that is direct family, whether that's employees uh, as well, um, or wider society. So we do we do need to move away from those numbers, um, although they're important, but what's it doing to the individual? What's it doing to the family? You know, the relationship breakdowns, the bailiffs knocking at the door, the evictions. The cycle going on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the, and the years it can take people to to rebuild, rebuild some of those things, you know, if they ever can. You know, I think it is vitally important to move that focus even on the on the signs of harm and also the impacts away from just that sole financial element and even that yeah we always talk about that those different aspects and and that's that real benefit that we've had from learning from people who have experienced harm as well is what Sam's spoken of is something that we hear you know many times from people that we speak to they talk about it's not just about losing money it's about losing that self-respect that hope I think when we talk about gambling as well um it's worth talking about relapse and the fact that it doesn't stop just when you enter a recovery program. You, you're still living with that addiction, you're just arresting it um, and you're utilising support services to do so. But within, again, the environment that we live in and the site we live in, it's so easy from a gambling perspective to be drawn back in because of a lot of the stuff we've spoken about already, accessibility, the advertising, the whole nature of whether you're within a friendship group that watch soccer Saturday on a Saturday afternoon and you're in a pub. Um, so yeah, I think from a relapse perspective, being drawn back in, that's something that um, you don't want to lose them people. You want those people to come back and say, yeah, I've had a relapse because they could go down a path they were on before they entered a recovery programme. So um, yeah, it's worth mentioning that, that it's a continuous thing that it doesn't go away. I think that's again with advertising it's in your face more than ever before and do you think that's where they need to take some responsibility when it comes to gambling? I would, I would say there's definitely there's a, a responsibility there to think about the impact that, that is having on um, people who either have, have experienced harm and have, have recovered but also that impact that can have on, on young people. You know, a key, a key bit of our work is well, our, our main work is focusing on supporting young people yeah, to inform, educate and safeguard young people. And 
those adverts, whether they are, are directly resulting in young people deciding that they're going to, to place a bet or whether it's just normalising that behaviour. It just makes them feel, um, and these are the words of my uh, 13-year-old son, he just said, it just makes you feel like everybody does it, Dad. It just feels like that's what people do with football. Um, and I think that's that's the the important sort of aspect of, of that message there. Absolutely. And finally, what would be your message, whether it be a young person or a concerned other, the, the worrying about gambling, what would you say? What, what, what would you say for why gambling reaching out for support? Um, I'd just reiterate that if, and I'm probably speaking to a parent here because I've seen the hurt my parents have been through and the helplessness um, they didn't have the education, get the, get the education about it, get, get to know about it a bit more, whether it's now or whether it's a little bit later. Um, but, you know, that's your son or that's your daughter. They are your son or daughter. This is them. This is the behaviour, again, that we've spoken about that's taken over. It's the addiction that's taken over them. Um, there's support out there. There's treatment out there, not just for the, for the individual, but the family as well. Um, and, yeah, we don't want to see people in the losing stage, in the desperation stage, in the hopeless stage. Um, we, we at YCAM, we don't demonise gambling whatsoever. We understand that, you know, it's a, it's a hobby for many people and it's enjoyed, but we, we very do much demonise um, harm when it comes to gambling. That's what we don't want to see, especially amongst young people. So um, it's a long piece of advice, but again, in terms of the parents, just understand what it is, what it's doing to the person and... And there's so much help and support out there. No, we, we have our own parent hub as well. So in, in as well as all of our various programmes which um carry different accreditations and assured statuses as well. And the resources that we offer to teachers, to youth workers as well, we've also got a parent hub which is an online resource for parents to access where they can find out more about um even just you know what gambling is and, and what the signs of harm are where to access that help and support. It also focuses, you know, we are the Young Gamers and Gamblers Education Trust and it looks specifically at um, some of those aspects of gaming where there's that convergence between gaming and gambling and then it just demystifies that world of gaming as well for parents so that they, they better understand the potential risks that their children might be experiencing as well. And you being a YGAM ambassador, Marvin, it's really important for you to champion the work and what YGAM's doing. Yeah, massively so, and, and you know, it's the reason I'm sat here and, and having this conversation because everything they're talking about and they believe in, I think, is so important. You know, I don't want to see anybody you know, suffer from harm of any kind, and something especially that can be prevented. You know, why why would we not want to prevent that? Why would we want to see people in this position of hopelessness at any stage of their or any walk of life? And we want to we want to encourage people to. As I said, we're not trying to demonise gambling. It's just have a healthy relationship with it, understand the risks and the rewards, and you know, you have use that education to to make sure you stay within a safe place, and especially for young people because they don't understand, at, you know, in the stage of their life, they, they may not understand that that it can it can lead to all of these harmful things, you know, and and they can you know get to this place of hopelessness. It's, it's hope, isn't it? That's the key word here. It's hope that you can overcome this. I mean, Sam, you're, you're speaking, you're sat here today, you've overcome this. And it, it's proof, isn't it, by reaching all that support, you, it can be accessed. It is, and I feel lucky every day that it's arrested, 
it's it's a working project. It's it's never going to leave me. I'll always have a part of me that will want to gamble. Um, but the position I'm in today, anyone can you know getting married last year, doing my first marathon, things that I wouldn't even cared to do when I was in that that destructive phase of gambling. Um, and just in terms of going back to my parents, one thing that my dad said in a podcast that we did together a couple of years ago is when asked about when they first found out about my gambling, the, the one thing he said that always stands out to me is that I just thought it was a teenager being a teenager. So we we brushed it under the carpet. So again, it's that awareness of if, again, speaking to the parent, if it's something that your child is going through, it's not just a teenager being a teenager. It could be a lot more um, harmful than what's going on. So it's okay, digging a little bit further, having those conversations. If you're picking up on them, being a bit more isolated or a bit more downbeat, open up that conversation and do it in that nice, comfortable manner. Thank you so much for listening to Papyrus Hopecast and for your part in making suicide part of the conversation. Sometimes listening to these stories can be difficult. If you're a young person struggling with thoughts of suicide or if you're worried about a young person, you can contact Hopeline UK on 0800 068 4141 via text on 078600 or via email on pat at papyrus-uk.org.